on the ground, bringing you stories from every corner of the globe on Times Radio. On the ground is where we speak to correspondents around the world about the big stories making headlines on their patch. And today we're in Mexico, which is still reeling from Hurricane Otis, which struck Acapulco last week. The resort has been devastated. Dozens of people remain missing and at least 45 are known to have died. John Bonfilio is a reporter based in Yucatan in southern Mexico. Um, John, well, let's talk first then about um, Hurricane Otis because I did look with increasing kind of sense of awe and shock at the maps of it sort of spiralling across the Pacific as it headed uh, towards um, Acapulco. Remind us what happened and how things are now. Yeah, so a, a week ago, hi, Mariela. Um, a week ago, uh, Hurricane Otis barreled into uh, Guerrero, uh, into the state of Guerrero in Mexico, the, the famous resort city of, of Acapulco. Part of the problem, of course, was its intensity. I mean, if you look at the statistics, this is the strongest hurricane ever to hit the Eastern Pacific, which is now generated in one of the top 10 most catastrophic events in the history of Mexico, but also the fact that it was generally uh, unpredicted. It went from a normal storm to a Category 3 hurricane in the space of six hours, and Acapulco was wholly, wholly unprepared for what was uh, about to hit hit it. Of course, there's been a series of wide-ranging impacts related to all of this. We are now up to 100 dead with many uh, many more missing. 80% of buildings have been damaged in uh, in Acapulco, and we're looking at an economic cost of in excess of 15 billion uh, US dollars. Now, uh, aid has arrived into the city of Acapulco, but generally it's gone into the very center. So the fringes, the communities, the people that serve Acapulco are still completely islanded, uh, left to fend uh, for themselves. We're now at a point where residents have barricaded streets and communities and are protecting themselves with clubs, truncheons and machetes from uh, looters and from uh, crime. It's also uh, generated a political row. Andres Manuel López Obrador, commonly known as AMLO, the, the current president, self-declared man of the people, is saying there's nothing to see here. Nothing has happened here. He says it's a politically generated storm, and that position is going to take a, a political toll at the elections next year, no doubt. Maybe just statewide in Guerrero, but perhaps the contagion will will spread further. Mm. And then I think the third area, which I think is interesting, is scientists. Scientists are aghast at how badly modeling got this uh, storm Wrong. and there is yeah. a lot of questioning and navel gazing about you know how they can make sure that this doesn't happen again but is it the modeling is that what scientists are talking about or is it a, a freak weather event uh, of which we are all becoming uh, slightly more familiar for sure, that is one of the things that they are pointing the finger at. If you look at, like, it's the rapid intensification of this storm, which is the major issue. But if you look at this hurricane season, you know, across the board, eighty uh, percent of hurricanes have rapidly intensified, which is completely unprecedented. Now, look, scientists are pointing to, uh, you know, hugely warm. Uh, ocean temperatures, but also perhaps more surprisingly, there's this strange phrase now or or term about wind shear. Wind shear tends to knock hurricanes off course, but it seems as though increasingly that is happening less and less, that warm ocean temperatures trump uh, wind shear factors because the wind shear in this particular case was was due to keep, was uh, hypothetically according to the modelling, intent on keeping the hurricane uh, to a storm level, but that definitely didn't take place. Mm. It was only 24 hours before that scientists realised by going into the eye of the hurricane 
they had got it completely wrong. And and John, um, just finally on on this story for the moment, Acapulco, obviously a very popular tourist resort, and yet what you're describing is anarchy on the streets. So that's going to have a major impact economically. I mean, you know, almost every house has been damaged, so that's got a major impact economically. But but you know, looking toward the future, uh, that suggests big problems going going forward as well. Sure, and Acapulco actually has suffered now for uh, a couple of generations, partly because the heyday of Acapulco was in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and, and has taken a downturn as other resorts, you know, the Mayan Riviera, Puerto Vallarta, Los Cabos, and the like have, have, have sort of stepped up in, uh, in importance, but also organized crime has really stepped in, gangs stepped in again about a generation ago, which, which generated a, a lot of issues. In Acapulco at the moment, what we've got is what people see which is in the center, and what people don't see, which is on the fringes. And what people generally are seeing, where media generally go, the stories that are coming out, you know, on the whole, the mainstream stories, are about a city which is recovering from a devastating uh, Category 5 storm. But that is very much uh, not what is happening in 80% uh, of the city, and of course, this you know, this is it's not just a, a current impact that we are experiencing, but as with all of these things, the impact is going to be felt for days, weeks, and months to come. Mm. Well, uh, let's turn, shall we, to something a bit lighter, though uh, it just highlights the sort of times we're living in. When I say the Dia de Muertos, uh, or the Mexican Day of the Dead, is something lighter because it's not really light at all, is it? But it is celebrated um, today and tomorrow. Just tell me a little bit about uh, what it is. Yeah, generally here it's not heavy. Generally here it is a really positive uh, festivity. Day of the Dead tonight is technically the night of the dead going into the Day of the Dead. Can I just uh, tomorrow, ask you something, sure. John? You say, you know, yeah. it's not a, it, it, it's, it's a light thing there. Is, is, is death seen differently in Mexico? Death is seen completely different in, in Mexico. It's not seen as a stepping beyond. It's seen as an extension of a life cycle, of a cyclical uh, life cycle. When, when people die... They do not disappear. They continue sit, to sit amongst us. It, it's actually a really, I've always found it to be a really refreshing, distinct take on, on death and, and the afterlife. So the Day of the Dead is actually when you, you, you meet your family members that you've lost, when, you, when you're sort of reunited one day a year. Is, is, is that why it's a celebration? Very much so. It's at this time of year, it's believed that the spirit and human worlds come close together and, and uh, allow spirits, the dead, to step back in, into this world. Now, in, in Mexico, for the last couple of weeks, we've had a lot of very public uh, events, processions, celebrations, public artworks. But now tonight is the important night. Tonight is when it gets, if you like, in inverted commas, serious, uh, because it becomes a very private event tonight. There will be no public events happening in uh, in Mexico tonight. Tonight, everybody goes in, families go into their homes, to the altar, which they're very carefully adorned and prepared with, with candles, with photos of their loved ones, with the favorite food and drink of their loved ones, which... Uh, you know, the belief is they come and, and, and remove the flavor for, uh, from overnight. Uh, St. marigolds on the altars and, and in the houses designed to guide the dead uh, into these spaces. And families will stay up all night eating, uh, drinking, remembering, playing uh, games uh, and so on. And what is it really, it definitely is not uh, horror related, has no negative connotations at all. Is a sort of quite serious veneration of of the dead. There's loads of local uh, variants to this as well. Actually, just very close to where I am, there's a small community of, of Bamuch, which has a variant there. In that, there, the families actually go into the cemetery. They disinter their their dead, so they remove them from from these sort of concrete uh, cases. And of course, they're in a in a 
varying degrees of decomposition. And then they pull the bones out and then painstakingly, carefully, uh, really carefully, lovingly, again, with all of these, all of the symbology related to, to Day of the Dead, they will brush and clean the bones uh, through the night before the next morning, placing the bones back in the coffer and then back into the vault. And uh, once the celebrations uh, have finished, um, I, 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 people will be getting back to their normal routines, sport being one of them. Uh, you can see where I'm going with this. This is my professional segue. <laughs> this is what they pay me the big bucks for. Um, so normally, you know, I like to be a bit hardball, but today I want to talk softball. Um which is a sport that's seen actually as a sort of no-go for women in Mexico, but a team in Yucatan is challenging those boundaries. I mean, first of all, I was surprised because I, I think of Mexico as a pretty emancipated environment. Um, am I wrong? Mexico continues to be really socially and uh, gender entrenched, I think. Uh, a, a bit like with, with Acapulco, there's what you see and what you don't see. Uh, and I think Mexico has always been really adept at what it demonstrates and then what it has uh, behind the scenes. I mean, it, just if you look at rates of uh, gender-based domestic violence, the state of Yucatan, where this softball league that we're about to talk about is, um, is based, sought uh, over 10, in excess of 10,000 cases of domestic violence uh, last year. So there's what happens publicly and what happens behind uh, closed doors. And for this, this, there's a softball team, it's actually a softball league, but a softball team in the Yucatan, in the state of the Yucatan, uh, the Amazonas, the Yashuna, that are really making ways, making national headlines because they are breaking these, that they've said to their uh, husbands and uh, parents and so on, that they, they're not going to stand by gender stereotypes and they want to organize and they want to go out and play softball and what's more uh, generally speaking that again that i guess the, the the iconography the symbols of indigeneity which are, you know traditional dress walking barefoot being perceived to be poor and so on uh, tend to be hidden when indigenous communities step outside of those contexts but here these women the amazonas the ashuna uh, are actually celebrating those so they go and play softball in their wipilis uh, without wearing any shoes um, uh, so th they've drawn national attention because they are really lighting a path to what is to what indigenous women are publicly able to do, but also capable of. To the extent that in the last couple of years, uh, the number of softball teams in the Yucatan has doubled. Wow. Well, listen, I'm really grateful to you, John, for bringing us that very flavoursome snapshot of what's happening in Mexico at the moment on the ground. Uh, John Bonfilio, journalist in Mexico, in the Yucatan. Uh, thank you very much indeed for joining me.